Turn to your Bibles uh, to John 15. Great job, by the way. Where, where's Goose? Where's your wingman? I know. I know. That's so sad. <laughs> Left you. Uh, if you haven't met me or I haven't met you, my name's Scott, and I'm the only pastor that is barely on staff. So, uh, coming, coming down to the end. We're in a series here uh, in the life of Christ. It's the personal moment, right? The private ministry with his disciples. It's the last few moments, really, of his life. And it's his final words. We get a, a picture into Jesus' heart here and, like, what he would want them to know right here before he leaves and uh, is crucified. Rather, I wouldn't say leaves, crucified, and then raised uh, from the dead. Um, so I got a question for you today as, as you're turning to maybe start there at John 14. Um, how confident are you um, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, talk to me about this, this God of yours and, and this Holy Spirit. Like, what, what is that? Or who, who is that? Like, how confident would you be in being able to say, yeah, this, this is... This is the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to you uh, about that. And um, I, I asked that question because a survey came out back in August. It was done by some big university out west, uh, Christian University. And they surveyed 2,000 uh, self-identifying Christians. So it's a pretty substantial survey. There was 175 million people in America that would identify as Christian. And what does that mean? Uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty wide uh, wide uh, selection of people. Of that, I think it's 6% or 15 million. So somebody out there with the math do that, but I think that's around 6%. 15 million of those would say they are, uh, they have a biblical worldview, which I'm like, how are you a Christian and you don't have a biblical worldview? I mean, doesn't that by itself, but anyway, sorry, I'm in the weeds. Um, Of those 15 million who would say, yeah, I have a biblical worldview, 60% of them, or a little bit above 60%, say the Holy Spirit is a force. It's a power of God. It's a metaphor of God's power. It's not a person. 60%. So if if 60% of people who say they have a biblical worldview have that understanding about the Holy Spirit, my extrapolation out to freshwater is I would imagine there are those of us in this room that would say, I have no idea how to explain the Holy Spirit and whether that even sounds bad that 60% think the Holy Spirit's a force or not. Like, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Like, um, and so this morning, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit because What's interesting is Jesus, in his final minutes, gives a lot of attention to the Holy Spirit. He says this in chapter 14 and verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Skip over a few verses to verse uh, 25. He says, these things are spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Skip over chapter 15, right at the very end. 
It says this in verse 26, Jesus goes on to say, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Skip over then chapter 16, a few verses next, and verse 7, and it says this, He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear, you can't uh, hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So let me give you a quick survey of the Holy Spirit in, a, in a terms of like a systematic way. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit, he is not a force, like an impersonal force. He is a person. You say he for the Holy Spirit. He has self-awareness or he's self-conscious, right? So he, he's aware of himself. He's, he's, he's alive. He's living. He has the ability to choose, the ability to love, the ability to have fellowship. And and there's this thing, Paul says, you will have fellowship with the Spirit. Jesus says, he will be with you. So there's this personal, relational connection that we can have with the Holy Spirit, who is a person who is self-conscious, able to choose. He's also fully God. When Jesus says, I want you to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's right there with the Son and the Father. There's this, this idea that you can sin against him as God. He's described as being God, as, as having the ability to come and to convict, to judge all the aspects of, of who God is. And yet, <clears throat> what it creates is you hear the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet, if you go back and you read in Deuteronomy, when God started to introduce himself to Israel And through Moses, he says, look, I want you guys to know something. I am the Lord, and I am one. So there is this idea of monotheism, one God revealed in three persons. And that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about unity and that we are all one and we're unified. Now, there's an administrative distinction between the three, but it does not diminish equality, equal in being. Equal in being, different in function. That is a crash course on the Holy Spirit, and I realize I may have just raised all kinds of questions for you. And that's why we have Norm, and you can go ask Norm. Um, Norm is the guy who teaches our theology classes here at church. Uh, They're actually going to teach this course on who God is coming here in January. So you might want to sign up for that and check that out because that's a class where our our motto here is don't check your brain at the door. And don't just believe it because a pastor up here says it. Study the word. Check it out. Wrestle with it. And and that's what our theology class is. It creates a context to wrestle through these things and, and how to understand them. 
So let's go back to John now, because what John records is Jesus is telling them, he's already said, look, I'm going to be leaving earlier in chapter 14. And he goes on to say this. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's going to give you another helper. Some of you may have a Bible version that says counselor. I don't know if that's, that's what you say, or a comforter. That's, that's another word that's often used here. So you have different, different words for how you would describe the Holy Spirit or, or interpret this word. Counselor, helper, um, comforter. The thing is, the word in the Greek is paraclete. And paraclete means counselor. But it doesn't mean counselor like what maybe you and I think it means of someone who's empathetic, somebody who's maybe in the therapy world, right, or something like that, or somebody comes along and puts his arm around you and says it's going to be okay. That's not what paraclete means. Now, God does that. He does that in other passages. But when you start to read through John, the word helper is used over and over and over and over and over and over again, six times, I think, or seven times. The word paraclete is used. Paraclete in the Greek world, when John's writing this, is the word counselor for those who are in a courtroom. So if you've watched your TV show or if you've ever been in the courtroom, right, and you've heard the judge say, counselor, what do you say? Or counselor, the floor is yours. It's the counselor is an advocate, right? It's either an advocate for the state or an advocate for, or, or, or if you've got two parties and they're going at each other, it's for a defendant and a plaintiff. And the, the counselor is the one who comes in and advocates for truth and demonstrates the, demonstrates the truth, right? Says this is the truth, proves the truth. That's what an advocate is. That's what a counselor, when he says this, he's saying paraclete, counselor, advocate. Which is interesting because he also says, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another one. Huh. So Jesus is the first one on the scene, as it were, physically. I mean, they're both, obviously, as God, they've been there uh, before time. They're eternal. But Jesus has been this advocate, this counselor during his ministry. And what does that mean? Well, he's the one that has come in and he has spoken about the truth, right? So if you read through John, John's a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who also record the stories of Jesus' life and his teachings. John, he has this way of framing it. So it's, it's like Jesus is in the courtroom of public opinion. His whole ministry career, those three years, John frames it in such a way that Jesus always seems to be on trial. And people are always coming accusing him or condemning him, actually making their decision and saying he's guilty or bringing charges against him. And you see a lot of people rejecting him. And sometimes people are like believing him and then they're not believing him. And you've got this small group that is believing him because they're seeing not only they're hearing the truth, but they're seeing the demonstration of it. So he does miracles, right? He does these crazy miracles that, that are inarguable what's happening. And he teaches about forgiveness in the middle of that. And they go, nah, that's not true. They completely won't believe the proof, the demonstration of the truth. He's an amazing advocate. He's an amazing counselor in the courtroom. And now he says the Holy Spirit's going to come. And what's the, the Spirit is going to come and, and take up where Jesus left off. 
And, and what did Jesus do? It, 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 was, it was several things as you look at that, but he's there proving the kingdom of God, speaking about the truth of the kingdom and then proving it. And so Jesus would come in and he says, I have this incredible message of redemption. I have a message not just of a redemption, not, not just that, but it's the kingdom of God in total that comes and reverses the curse. And so you see the power of the kingdom of God come and the truth of it and the power of it. So you see the power to heal, the power to conquer Satan, the power to, get, to have victory over sin, to set people free, to, the, to deliver to be people from bondage, all the stuff of the kingdom of God, the truth and the power comes as Jesus is teaching it and proving it and the Holy Spirit is now what Jesus is saying going to come and be the second paraclete another paraclete and he says this he says he's going to come in verse 17 he says he's going to be with you forever and he ends, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So that's a radical thought. For these guys, they're saying, whoa, 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 stop the bus. Like what? God in us? God dwelling in us? Because up to that point, if you read through the Old Testament, God, God came on people like uh, overcame people, not overcame, but filled them. His presence was on them to accomplish specific purposes for specific periods of time, and then he would pull back. God's presence was in the temple up until the time that God said, that's it, everybody out of the pool, I'm done, and he left, and you read about that in Ezekiel because Israel had so rejected God. But God had only really dwelt in the temple, and now he'd been gone. There was like 500 years or 550 years of silence where, where is God? And now Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, God is actually gonna dwell with you. I don't want you to build a temple. You will be the temple of God. And that's what Paul says. Don't you know? Like your body is now the temple of God. He dwells with you and in you. It's a radical shift. And it's actually the beginnings of the kingdom of God of restoring it back to the way it was where we are in the presence of God. And it really does help, especially when you read through 15, chapter 15, and Jesus says, this world's going to hate you, this world's going to persecute you, it's going to think they're doing me a favor by killing you. It really helps to know, and that's why Jesus says even in that moment, the Holy Spirit will be with you. The counselor in the court of public opinion will be standing right next to you going, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of crazy going on here. Don't believe it. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. What's interesting is he says in chapter 16, he says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's actually to your advantage. This is really good for you that I go away. I don't know about you. But if I had Jesus right in front of me, I'd be going, no, it isn't. <laughs> uh-uh. No, that's a really bad idea. You, me, right here, hanging out, versus him going away, and it's then not by sight, but by faith. No, I'll, I'll take Jesus, thanks. That's a great idea. I'll, I'll take you, though. Anybody like that? 
The reason Jesus says it's to your advantage is think about this. If Jesus doesn't go, there's no cross. If Jesus doesn't go, there's no resurrection. There's no ascension. There's no at the right hand of the Father above all authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given. And then he comes and he sends the Spirit to us to bring all that he's done. Like, you don't get any of that. So it actually is to our advantage. Jesus does have to go because the substitution of our lives as he stands in our place is pivotal for our salvation and the coming of the kingdom. So it, it is better. He goes on, as he's talking about this, he hammers this idea of truth over and over again, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, and it it only enhances this title paraclete of counselor and the court of public opinion, right? The spirit comes, and we are still in this court of public opinion as it were, and the Holy Spirit is here telling us, look, this is the truth. This is the kingdom of God, the truth of it, and this is a demonstration of it. It's the truth, and it's the proving of the truth, the demonstration of its power. The Holy Spirit's ministry is doing that in you and in me as long as we live. The kingdom of God has come. Let me tell you about it, and let's go see it happen. What's interesting is chapter 16, something shifts because after verse 7, he starts to talk about this ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes in verse 8, he will come and convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. Now, these three ministries all have to do with conviction, right? So now we're in a different courtroom. We're in the courtroom of God, and the Holy Spirit is here as the advocate, and now the world is on defense, and they're being called forward. And he says three things about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. One, it's for sin. What does he mean by that? Because they don't believe in me. So the the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes and convicts people because they reject God. They don't believe in Christ, Jesus. This world will believe anything else. And you see it on display here in the U.S. Christianity is fair game for anything. But you you really don't hear much talk about any other religion, right? Right? There's no other condemnation for other religions except for Christ. The Spirit comes along, and his ministry is to convict people that they don't believe in God. Paul talks in Romans 1 about their minds being darkened, having exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, reptiles, right? It's just completely given over to believing anything else but in the existence of God. The second thing he comes to convict people of or this world of is righteousness because he goes to the Father. Now that seems kind of like, what? Like, you know, I've read that for years and I have never understood that. And honestly, I never take the time to understand that. But what he's saying is this. Like, what do you mean convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father? Well, if you're in this courtroom of public opinion 
what happened with Jesus was the world has a standard where right is wrong, wrong is right. Bad is good, good is bad, right? So the world, the world had their judgment against Christ, and they said he's unrighteous, we've got to kill him. And so they killed him. And we all killed him, right? I mean, that's, what that, that, that's the flesh, that's this world. We made our decision and said, no, he's evil, he's unrighteous, and therefore he deserves death. But when he goes to the Father, Jesus says, I, the Spirit has come, and what he's going to do is actually flip it and start to talk about what true righteousness is. And because Jesus is with the Father, it demonstrates that Jesus was actually an innocent man. Jesus was actually righteous, and his death was unjust. And that with the Father means that God has accepted his sacrifice and has said, no, my son is righteous. Does that make sense? So this conviction is coming to the world and saying, your standards are all opposite and upside down and wrong. You need to understand what true righteousness is. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? Holy Spirit starts to come into our lives and bring conviction. We all, we all know what that conviction's like. In fact, even to talk about it, like if you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit for sin or for, for unrighteousness, for righteousness and realizing you're not hitting it, in fact, you're, you're in the bath, you're taking a bath in unrighteousness and, and, and evil, even having a message like this, what happens to us when we're under conviction is our heart starts to beat faster, Right? It starts to sound louder, like some of you right now are sweating because you know you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing and God's telling you to stop and you won't stop or you're hiding it, right? It's awful. And how do I know? Personal experience, (laughs) right? It's horrible. I mean, David wrote about how you crushed my bones, God, when I was in sin. Like, you, you stole sleep from me. My life was miserable when I was rebelling against you. Now, this conviction thing is not a small thing. God will intentionally grind us down until we repent. And here's the thing. It's the most loving thing you'll ever experience. It's not a bad thing. It's the best thing ever because he's trying to pull us back into righteousness and saying, turn, turn. It's the best thing. He goes on and he says, convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And, and he talks about this ruler of the world being judged. Well, that's Satan. And so he's coming into this courtroom and he's saying, look, Satan was judged through his death and now found guilty of rebellion. And his sentence is just, it's been declared. It's just, when is that going to be executed? And because as a ruler of this world, he is judged. Everyone under that rule here in the world that's still part of that realm is under judgment. There's a day coming where we will have to give an account for our lives. And that's another piece to the story. The Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us and say, you're going to have to be held accountable. You will be held accountable. A day's coming. You won't escape this unless you love the Lord and you embrace the kingdom of God and encounter forgiveness. 
I remember um, years ago um, being in a room. It was somebody that was really on the friends of this church, um, and somehow I got invited into the middle of, of their life, and actually they were dying, and I was in the hospital room the day um, they died. And I would say it was probably the most disturbing moment I think I've ever had with somebody who was dying. This person was terrified. I walked into the room and literally could feel the evil in the room. And I'm like, this person was coming to our church. What's going on here? And I tried to talk, and they were literally overcome by sheer terror and could not talk. And I'm like, something's off. I don't get this. Like, this shouldn't be. And I was so confused. Um, Because I don't, I mean, figuring out who's saved and who's not saved is way above my pay grade. I just try to stay away from that stuff. Um, I mean, Jesus says you can kind of tell the fruit and you can kind of see the trajectory of someone's life, but we're all good enough to fake stuff. So I don't know. Um, So I was like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, over the week, second week and third week, all this stuff came out about who this person really was. And it was, it was terrible stuff. And then I understood what was going on in the hospital room. He was terrified because he was about to meet Jesus. And he was not ready. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of judgment. And we will be held accountable. The great news is forgiveness is free through faith in Christ. comes at a great cost, his life, and us surrendering. It's not cheap, but there is forgiveness. And I want to end with this, this thought here. He concludes with this, and he says this about the Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And get this, he will glorify me, for he he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Like he says it twice. He's going to take what's Christ and declare it to us. So, at the risk of this, it can almost sound like, okay, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, it feels like it could just be a clinical or a classroom thing where the spirit just is this there doing this, telling us, tell, 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 teach, teach, teach. You're taking notes, you've got to write this down, right? It's all acquisition of knowledge. No, it's not just acquisition of knowledge. It's taking all that's Christ. And then declaring it to us. It's, it's this reality of the kingdom of God where the Spirit comes and it's an immersive experience in total. Immersive in our minds, our spirit, our bodies, our emotion. All of it gets immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit who brings all that's Christ to us. Christ said, look, 
You guys got to wait for the Spirit. And he said essentially this. He says, when the Spirit comes, you're going to receive what? Power? Power. What is that about? Well, that's, that's Christ, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, where the thrones of powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning. He is the head of the church, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was, to believe, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to him us, right, this world. And Paul goes on. He's writing that in Colossians 1, and he goes on. He says, for in Christ... All the fullness of deity, the full expression of God, God and all he is, the complete package is in Christ because he is fully God. And he says this, you have been given fullness in Christ. You have been given the complete package, right? The full expression of God. And so the Holy Spirit, he's saying this. And what he's saying to you is when the Spirit comes, he brings the truth and the full expression of who God is into you, into me. Why? Because he's the advocate. And wherever the advocate goes, there goes the kingdom of God. Hang on. This isn't about good boys and good girls, right? And just making sure we got good behavior modification. This is about the kingdom of God that comes with power and truth. The advocate says, this is the truth and let me demonstrate it. So you get the full kingdom. You do. If you're in grade school, and you love Jesus, this is crazy, you get the full kingdom of God. Like right now. Like we don't even let people drive until they're 16. You get the full kingdom of God right now. Which you're like, I don't even know what that means. Hang on. That's what that means. If you're in grade school, if you're in junior high, you can say, well, where is it? Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit would bring everything that's yours declare to me how about it give me some of that you know what paul said he's like look i when i came to you guys in corinth you guys knew i didn't come i didn't try to have fancy words i didn't try to be persuasive i i just came and i was scared to death to come to you i was shaking he says i was trembling i was in over my head and all i was hoping was Holy Spirit, your power, your truth and power, you got to do this thing so that your faith wouldn't rest on anyone but the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have been filled with the power of the counselor who has brought this from Christ, all that he has accomplished and all that he is. And he has one purpose. It is to bring the kingdom of God and glorify the Son. So, you want some of that? I'd like to invite the team to come up. All that the Father has is mine. All that the Father has is mine, and he will declare it to you. There should be like this warning label because it, it really is this life of Christ. As you look at the life of Christ, that should be the life of anyone who follows him.
to go with the kingdom and the presence of the advocate, the Holy Spirit, bringing the truth of the kingdom and bringing redemption and bringing forgiveness and casting out demons and invading this world with this divine power to overthrow Satan and to roll back sickness and to set people free. And it's, and it's him in your soul and in mine or spirit every day, every morning going, this is the kingdom, this is reality, this is what's going on, let's go. And I, this church is filled with, with so many people who are like, I, I want this. I mean, Paul writes about the Holy Spirit coming as this immersive experience, literally under the influence, like you'd be under the influence of any kind of drug, chemical. You want to be under the influence, under the full immersion. We talk about being baptized, immersed in the presence. Do you want it? And it fades as we fade uh, and our attention fades and our focus fades and our heart gets distracted and there's this invitation to, uh, that God gives of, hey, keep, do this and keep on doing this. Do you want it? And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. There's a story in the Old Testament, this king uh, of Israel, Israel's under threat again. A prophet comes and says, hey, look, uh, deliverance is coming. I want you to take this sword or spear, I can't remember what it was, and I want you to s- just jam it into the ground as a declaration of victory that God's promising to you. And so the king takes the spear and goes, and the prophet kind of looks at him and goes, that's it. That's it. That's all you got. And when you read the story, you're like, what, what in the world? Like, you did what you, you asked him to. And the prophet goes on and goes, okay, so this is what's going to happen. That's the kind of victory you're going to have. You're going to have a, a one-jab victory, one little I put it in the ground victory, and it's not going to last very long. Had you put your heart into it and taken your spear and went like over and over and over and over again until you know that God knows you want the victory and you want all of it and you don't want to have to do this again in three years, you want it done forever, you missed out. You got the one jab victory, king. And that's all he got. And that's all Israel got. And my question to you is, what do you want? Woo! Or do you want to come to him and say, I want you to take what's Christ, and I want the full deal. I want all of it. And I'm asking again, and I'm going to be unrelenting until I get this. You and the kingdom of God, the truth of it, and the proof of it in me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, uh, come.
Uh, some of you, uh, you got stuff you have to deal with the Holy Spirit on. And maybe right now is not the time to totally do it. You're, maybe now is the time to go, okay, God, I'll quit running and I'll quit shutting you down and your voice and trying to not hear you. I hear you saying it. I've got to confess. And you give your word. And you say, Holy Spirit, I give you my word. I am going to talk to somebody today. And I'm going to tell them I need help. I'm going to tell them I need accountability. I'm going to tell them I got some stuff I've got to get off my chest. I got to get clear on. I've got to, I, I need help. You give them your word. I will do this. And don't break it. And I say, give him a word, unless he's saying right now, confess. Get on your knees and confess. Stay in your chair, confess, break. You better do it. But if he gives you permission to say, I'll do that today, so that in this moment you can say, but God, can you fill me? I want, I want you What's your kingdom? So many of us in this room have walked with God. We've heard messages like this or we've had moments like this. Do you hear the Spirit saying, ask? Ask. Tell him you want it. Tell him you want it. You want everything of Christ that's possible.